This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to another episode of the W12 podcast. We are on season three, episode 10. Um, I'm Ben Platt and we are going to try and see if we can pick through what's going on at the moment down at Loftus Road. Um, we are also joined by QPR's current technical director and head of coaching, I believe, Chris Ramsey. He's going to be joining us in the next sort of 10 minutes. Um, before then, we're going to see, we're going to chat through the Coventry loss and a few other bits and bobs. Um, we're joined by ever-present Duncan McCready. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. A bit disappointed with current form and how we're dropping like a stone. But apart from that, I'm all right. <laughs> Start on a positive. Uh, uh, and we've got Jack Supper. How are you, mate? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Uh, Welcome back. Yeah, always a pleasure to be on and uh, wish it was under more positive circumstances. But, you know, we'll try and find the positives if we can. Yes. OK, so let's get into it. Um, Coventry... Watched the game, disappointed. It went exactly how I thought it would. Um, I've got to be honest, that's what the prediction was. That Gokiera, is that right? Um, was going to grab a couple of goals. He was going to terrorise our defence. Um, and we weren't going to, We, you know, it's it, playing a team with, what is it, seven clean sheets and nine, something like that. Um, it was always going to be difficult to, 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 to create chances and... and and that seemed to be the way of the game, really. I didn't really think we were in the game at any point. Um, I thought Coventry controlled the game. I, mean, I know that we had a lot of possession in the second half, but I don't think we did anything really of any notice. We didn't really... I mean, Dickie's effort was probably the only real chance, I'd say, really. We weren't the keeper. I don't remember another one. Uh, a couple of half chances here and there. Um, but am I right in thinking that this break has come at probably the best time? Um, I think so. I feel like if we'd had another couple of games and this run of form continued, I genuinely think then Beal was going to be in a very, very sticky situation because all the bad forms come since he turned down the Wolves job. And he's like, 
oh, I want to stay. I want to be, I've told the players I'm all in. I want them to be all in. And since he said that, it looks like nobody's been all in. Like <laughs> since the Cardiff game, when it was all up in the air, our performances have been poor. The results have been terrible. And there just seems to be something not going right. And it just, it just feels like QPR all over again. Like every time we think we've got a manager who's taken us somewhere, like it just something just goes wrong somewhere behind the scenes or whatever. Something goes wrong and it all starts to crumble away. And that's what's happening again. Yeah, I'm not sure it's on, you know, squarely on Bill's shoulders at this point. And I know it's quite interesting that since he turned down the Wolves job, only Bristol City have won fewer points than QPR in the championship. I mean, that's just a you know, coincidence, I think. But like, what is concerning is the form, as you rightly point out, um, Duncan, lost four of our last five, which is as many as we'd lost in Bill's first 16 league games. I failed to score in four of the last five with just one goal, which again is as many times as we failed to score in Bill's first 16 league games. You know, we've lost our last two home league games. That's after we just, we'd only lost once in the first eight at Loftus Road under Bill. So things are slipping, but what he's saying, you know, let's take stock of where we are. If you'd offered our position before the start of the season, there is a semblance of truth in that. I think 31 points in 21 games with the injuries we've had, and that is, you know, that's been a major problem this season. And there's wider questions for that, I feel, with maybe like the backroom, the medical, why are we getting so many injuries? But, you know, it's, it as, as again, as Ben points out, one shot on target away to Coventry, pick up the fans, three and a half, 3,600 fans going up there to see that, rightly disappointed. And, I, you know, again, looking at some other stuff, are QPR better suit to being the away team or, you know, playing on the counter-attack? I found it interesting... In the eight games when QPR have had less possession, we haven't lost. We've won six and, and drawn twice when we've had less possession. It, it, all of our defeats this season have come when we've had more of the ball. So there's definitely things to work on. We've got to be a bit more cutting if we're going to have more of the ball. Um, I think that comes from, that, does that cut, and I've said this a few times, that, you know, when we had these big away wins at the start of the season, you know, the Watford, Sheffield United, you know, we've done some really positive away performances. But since we've been top, so Birmingham, for example, was at Luton, we, we were the team to beat, if you like, weren't we? We were top, top two, and we just didn't deal with that very well. We haven't dealt with that very well. So teams have come to Loftus Road, knowing that we're a good side, sitting back, hitting us on the counter, getting a set piece, and, 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 and relying on the fact that the stats will tell you that we don't create much um, when <laughs> when when that when the opposition do that we struggle to score. Yeah, and again, I, I agree. I think when when we're on the front foot, so to speak, and we're having all these shots, they're not like they're not good shots. Like the Huddersfield game, thirty six shots it was the most by a losing team. Like it's the most by a Championship team that lost since twenty nineteen Leeds against Wigan. I mean that we had six shots on target out of thirty six. Now, it was a very frustrating night. So we've got to do more about giving our players better, you know, chances in the box, better crosses. Like it was very frustrating the last few games when we get out wide and we put it in the box, but it doesn't get past the first man and it's just aimless. Sometimes the striker's not making the you know the best movements. There's there's all little things that go well, you know, they're not a problem when we're playing well. Everyone seems to be, you know, doing that, but like as soon as things go bad, or we have you know a shot to the you know to the face, we don't seem to deal with adversity too well. And I think you're right. The mentality is definitely a is it an issue when we got up, got got to top and we were the team to beat. 
we didn't deal with it, as you say, and, that, and that's interesting. I think that goes back to the whole like Warburton season as well, doesn't it? We just didn't handle the pressure of ever being favourites or being tipped for promotion. Like we just seemed to crumble under that pressure. We're better as the underdogs. It was great. Like when we've been doing well with Beal, everyone's like, "Oh, like he's, is he going to be the manager to get him back up? Is he going to be the one to get him into the playoffs?" And I was like, "Do our players just not handle the pressure because they're not used to it?" Like. I don't know, it, it really frustrates me that we seem to be in good positions in the league, have a loss, and rather than bouncing back, we'll lose the next two or three or drop points in the next three games. Like, it's so frustrating as a fan. Yeah, we're quite a streaky team. We're yeah. very streaky, yeah. And, and that does, you're right, like, we seem to crumble quickly. We we have a couple of losses, and I don't know what happens, but the, it's a mentality thing, it must be, because we just seem to not be able to get... It, and, it's, and actually, it's... Big, bigger than Bill, this because this is an issue that's been going on for years. Every manager just goes on these mad seven, eight game losses. Like, I remember Holloway went on two in about three yeah. months. Um, Warburton's been on it, McLaren was on a mad one as well. I can remember that one, that was like nine games. It's just, um, and I, I don't know, it just feels like this. So, it, where does the buck lie? Like, where does it like who, who do we try and aim our frustration at? Is it the manager's fault? Is it the player's fault? Is it the board's lack of ambition's fault? Like, or is it a combination of all of those things? I get frustrated with, I said it last week, but I get frustrated with the comment around we got the fifth or sixth budget. Like, I was hoping Bill wouldn't use that. I, I, I hate when Warburton just uses it every other week, right? And I get it. We get it. We know, right? We've had it. We literally know it's at every fans forum we ever go to. It's at every time Lee Who speaks, Les speaks. We know we've got the fifth or sixth smallest budget league. We know that, right? But that doesn't mean anything really, because it, it, it doesn't mean what you've got your playing staff quality is like over the years that you've built up that low, you know, what the value is now. Because it's like I've said, like, I'm not going to go through that, but you know, we've got some excellent championship players there, right? That that warrant being in the top six, right? Um, and also that mentality just drives through the, the team, in my opinion. And they and it, rather than us thinking we deserve to be up there and we should be up there and we should be beating teams, we should, I don't know, that always bugs me, Jack. Do you feel like because of that, there's like when we do get up in the upper echelons of the championship that the players thinking, oh, God, we're a bit above our stations here. You know, did you think that's an issue? Well, like, probably not directly, probably not the reason, but I don't think it helps when you're 1-0, 2-0 down, you're on a losing, losing five or six in a row and, you know, you've got players injured and you've won. Do you know what I mean? Things aren't going right. I just don't think it helps. Um, but, um, but yeah... Yeah, it's 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 frustrating, really. But 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 there's a positive spin on this, and that is that and Bill said it, and he's right, right? That we're seventh in the league. Had we done this a different way, i.e., we'd have been on the reverse of this run and been in a good form now rather than the, we'd all be sitting here thinking that we'd have took we'd have taken seventh. So it's not the end of the world, definitely not. But you know. Well, that, that's right. I mean, 31 points from 21 games. Since we've been back in the championship post the 2014-15 Premier League season, we've only bettered that at this stage in one season before points total. And that was last season. We had 35 points. So it, we are, you know, we are trending upwards overall in the wider picture. But it's just frustrating when you see how good we can be, injuries or not. Like, even, you know, we can be really good. It's just we're not consistent. But... Do you feel that the reason Bill was kept, you know, he stayed, so to speak, um, is because he was promised something in January, some reinforcements, and maybe we're going to have a bit of a clear out if, if we have any takers for those mid, mid, middle of the road players in the squad? 
you know what, Jack? I've had this weird feeling the last week. I've been thinking about it, and it's been like bothering me a little bit to why he would reject the job. Yeah. Right. And what, what I mean by that is that, you know, who in that, what championship manager would, would, would not go to a Premier League job. I just, it, 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 it I, I get the timing and it might just be the timing, but for me, it just feels like there's more to it. And I don't know what that is, but like, you know, Nathan Jones was never going to turn down the Southampton job, was he? Like, no. he loves Luton, loyalty there. He's left them already, but he was never going to turn that down. Um, and, and if any other manager had been offered that Wolves job in that league, do you think they would have turned it down? So, so, yeah, I feel like something's been agreed maybe behind the scenes. Maybe there is room in the... We don't know. We're always told there's not, not really much transfer budget, but surely there's there's something agreed, you know. There's no loyalty in football, is there? I don't think, anyway. Like, there's no, like... And he, we, all not thought he was going, we all thought he was going anyway, right? So it's not like the fans would have held it against him. I don't think... I mean, we would have been annoyed initially, but, like, you know, reality is he's going to Wolves, who are a massive football club um, in the Premier League, who have got, like, you know facilities and everything next level um yeah i just yeah you're right jack it was my point i, I was thinking like all week it's a bit odd that he rejected it if, if that makes sense as well as we're all happy i mean I'm, I'm glad he's staying he's clearly a yeah. fantastic football mind and you know we're you know appear to be quite lucky to have someone of that you know coaching ability but yeah it's his first real big test isn't it this sort of little sticky runner form so we'll see how we come out come out of the other side. I mean, statistically, November's our, our worst month in our league history for points per game. So, you know, we never do well in November generally, other than last year when we were unbeaten. But no, we're, we're not very good at, you know, this part of the year. And then worryingly, looking ahead to December, we've only won one of our last 15 games in December. So we've got, you know, some big tests coming down the line. Um, so let's see how we do. It's Burnley, isn't it, when we come back? Oh, yeah, it's a nice, easy game. Nice, easy game to get into. Pressed it away, then pressed it away. They probably couldn't get any harder, I don't think. Um, uh, Jack, you must get depressed getting these stats out, mate, when you're reading them. You must be like, because... It was worse McLaren. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes under Holloway, I'm not going to lie, but generally under Warburton and, you know, Eze, Bright and people like that, and then the players have had, like, Willock and Chair. There there is is some good stuff. I mean, there's a great one on Chair that I found earlier. So in... You know, you know, there's that stat in Europe's big five leagues. You know, you've got Premier League, Serie A, Bundesliga, Liga, you know, La Liga. So there's this new one. I've looked it up. So in though in the top two divisions in each of those countries, Chair has created the most chances than any other player in Europe in those in those ten leagues. Yes, so, but the problem is, no one else in those ten leagues has Lyndon Dykes up front. He's not as bad. No, I don't have that. Right. How many how many times has Chair assisted Dykes? Because we had this when we had them on the in, when we interviewed them both, and they hadn't done it then. So it's only going to be a couple of I times. Think it's the other way around. I think Dykes is it Dykes that's assisted Chair more than yeah. Chair Dykes, but and that's the when you're making that many chances, that's the worry. Is that there's no one actually to put them away? I yeah, thought when we had easy, when we had easy. That's what I'm saying. He's an asset, and I actually yeah. the reason why QPR are stuck banging their heads against the wall in this sort of position where we're trying to get in the playoffs, we, we choke and we don't get there. It's because we need to sell another player desperately to, to reinvest, give some, give them some more freedom in the transfer market. Because until we do that, I know we're, oh, we want bills like, I want to keep chair, I want to keep Willock. I get it. But we need these players to stand out statistically because that's how a lot of people are scouted now these days as well. 
that we need his numbers to be exceptional. And he's got great numbers this year. It could be better if our striker was a bit more prolific. You're right. But he's someone that if, you know we need to cash in on soon because we need that money. All I'm saying is, do you think Easy would have got the move he got if he'd had Dykes up top rather than Naki Wells? Because I think that's the difference. I think if we had somebody like that with that in football and intelligence of Naki Wells, I think Chair would be getting even more assists. I, I think you made a good point about the strikers and their movements. I've I've noticed this for a while now. Like we haven't had a, a box finish like because Naki Wells wasn't the most prolific finisher. He's very frustrating actually as well. But his movement was excellent and he, he would make the right runs. Dykes can always make the right runs, which is a little bit, you know, that's one of his downfalls, you know, but as a, you know, he had some really good players around him. You know, Hugo was a bit Dykes-esque in his sort of, you know, his play, but he's still got 15 goals that season. Dykes hasn't got to that time. So he did have good, good players around him, but Eze was exceptional. You can't take that away, in my opinion. I think he would have stood out anyway. Yeah, he would have. I think he was just a little bit cut above the, the, the chair. Not to say chair can't reach those levels, but a chair is... is, is in his mind, he's ahead of everyone on the football pitch, I think. It's definitely the strikers. Like He's thinking before doing things. And that's why I think sometimes he holds on the ball too much is because someone's not making a, a run that he wants them to make or, or isn't playing the one-two that they want them to do, maybe. I do think there's an element of it he wants to do too much sometimes. I still do nice. get that. But anyway, on, on Lyndon Dykes, I just think... I, I, oh. I've got nothing against Lyndon Dykes, but I just think that if he's your sole striker, you're in trouble because he's not going to score you 15, I don't think. He might scrape 15, but he's not going to... Um, <laughs> he's not going to... Um, yeah, he's not going to score you 20 goals. I just think we need someone. I'd, I'd have happily taken Andre Gray back. I thought his movement was excellent. Um, I think anyway, we can, we, we, we can pick this up after, but we're joined by the QPR... A technical director, is that right? Your head of coaching as well? Is yeah, that, is that yeah. Your role? Is that... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my two roles. Yeah, yeah. How are you, Chris? You okay? Yeah, all good, all good, really. Yeah, all good. Just uh, thanks. enjoying it. Thanks for coming on. Um, I guess my first, uh, you know, what's it in your current two roles? What is sort of your day to day roles and responsibilities? What, what uh, uh, well, generally, I, I, I come in in the morning and if I'll watch or participate in the first team training right so um well that that'll be the beginning but before for that i'll go in the academy and have a meeting with the uh academy manager alex carroll uh, and just see what's 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 been going on um what we need to do that day what meetings we got then we go to go and talk with uh mick and the first team staff and see what what you know if they need me or if if, if there's anything I, I i need to do for them then I'll pop into Leslie's office and see um, what's going on with the loan players or or anything else that needs talking out. And then I'll go out to training in the morning, do the training um, either with the first team or with the under twenty ones or with the under eighteens. So it's, it, it can be anything. Can do you have anything. an office? Do you have an office? I don't remember seeing it on any of the videos. <laughs> Uh, I've got what I've got. I share an office with Alex in the in the in the uh, in the academy, and then I hop desk around the club. <laughs> 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 oh, so, um, yeah, that's it. 
What, what, what are your views then on the start of the season for us so far? Obviously, we're on a bit of a slump, but overall, seventh, sort of got to take that at the start of the season. But what, what, what are your views? Yeah, I, I, I think you would take that at the start of the season. So we have to look at it positively um, for, 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 for what it is, really. We would, would have taken that. I mean, obviously, I think that probably, you know, one win in the last few games would have been a magnificent place to be because we'd, we'd be above the line. But uh, we've been playing well and, you know, we just haven't been able to find the net ourselves, which uh, always causes pressure when the other teams are having two shots and, 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 and being successful, you know. So, all in all, I think the season's been very positive. Well, um, Robbie, when, when you speak to Bill, how involved are you with sort of decision-making within... Because, within, obviously, you take coaching. So, when, when he's does he come to you for advice weekly or do you... How does that work? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't take the sessions. Mick takes the sessions. Oh, what right, okay. is, we'll, we'll take part of the session. So what he does is he works in units. So we'll take we'll we'll we'll, we'll take um, part of the part of the, the the sessions. But Mick's a very uh, strong a strong personality, but he's very inclusive as well. So uh, I think he asks most people you know, their, their opinion on things. He's very inclusive, but he has got a very strong uh, notion of what he wants and everybody's on board. And it's, it's good that everybody's is on board and, and we're going in the same direction. Now, obviously, when a new manager comes in, um, when a new manager comes in, it's always going to be, you know, a, a bit of time before everybody gets on the same, on the same path. But I think he's done re really well the first four months or so of his work to bring the club together. There's a lot of integration around the club. And uh, no, it, 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 I wouldn't say he asked my advice, but, you know, I, I would more try to ask his advice on what he wants, some more, some more to speak. With Bill coming in, and obviously we, we hear so much about how much, of it, you know, he's well-respected within the game for his coaching. And, and, and Have you seen that since you've, since he's come in? Has there been, I know you've touched on the changes, but has there been big changes in the way and the style of coaching the first-team players? Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone's got their own way of, of working. Yeah. Um, uh, but he's got a distinctive way of working and he carries it out, you know, he and he, and he sticks to it. So ultimately, from... The, the point of view that we've had to, to we've had to adapt fairly quickly to the way that he wants things done, and he's ongoing as well. He's always looking for excellence all the time. So, I think everybody's on their toes at the moment. How is that? Uh, you can ask a question, don't you? I was going to say, uh, did you have any um, like role in McBill's interview process, or like like in the making the shortlist for manager candidates? Did you have any kind of input in any of that side of it? Uh, not, not, uh, uh, not really. I think the shortlist came quite uh, was quite rapid because of the way that the um, the process the process was done quite meticulously, and it almost picked itself, so to speak. The candidates almost picked itself, and then obviously um, when you when you hear the candidates, you're always going to throw your two pennies worth in as regards the type of uh, of manager, the type of uh, style of play the type of integration that a manager likes, you're always going to have your two pennies worth to put in. But, um, you know, I, I, I can't claim him. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't find him. Because yeah. all the QPR yeah. fans, he come out, they all, they probably no one knew who he was, but then everyone knew him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember him five years ago now. I can't claim him. Can I ask, Chris, actually, what's um, Bill like in terms of 
you said about integrating inclusivity. What's he like at integrating the youth players with first team training? Is he quite receptive with that? Very, very good. Very, very good. We've had caught maybe 12 players go over this 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 season. Um, and whenever whenever there's there's an opportunity to do it, he does it. Uh, you know, so that was one of the, the remits for him was to try to to integrate the club. Uh, um, and he's he's stuck to the plan. He's stuck to what he said he was going to do. Are there, are there any youngsters that are like getting close to being involved in any kind of like first team squads? Uh, obviously, we, we you know, I, I would have to say that we haven't got a lot of strength in depth waiting. We haven't got 12 players waiting to come into the squad, but there are one or two that uh, he's integrated in, into training and and they've they've held their own. So, you know, recently Alex Ahora he, uh, trained with the first team and, and he did quite well. And I think Mick, you know, gave him a lot of compliments. Um, obviously, Sinclair's come in. He's raw. He needs he needs training. That's why he's in and out. Um, and then we had uh, Arkel Boyd. You know, I think he's a little way away from 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 actually making a, a squad, but he's trained at least he's sampled what it's like to train with the first team. So we've been very very pleased with the way that he's integrated the the, the players in in the team and the staff as well. Quickly, on the, on the, I just want to touch on the new training complex, which is soon to be built. That must make that must soon to make your job much easier. Or, or, or what is the biggest benefits that we'll see once that's all complete to next year? Uh, well, I mean, I mean, at the moment, there's still um, obviously we're using the old building still, so it's it's a bit makeshift. Um, so I think when you go into a new shiny building, people you know have a, have a different view of the whole coming into work thing. But I think the fact that we're all on the same site now, because we were, we were at Harnington before, and um, we were at Harnington before we were on two sites, so it was always difficult, especially for me, because I was driving from one to the other, and communications were, were, uh, was always blurred or late, so to speak. But um, I think the new, the, the, have you been up there? Have you been there? Not yet, no. no not, not yet, yet no. but we we all, we plan to in the next couple of years. Next, the next is it next month? Is it, Doug? We yeah, we're going up there. Yeah, so we're looking forward Hopefully, to that. Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll be so shocked, so surprised at how how good it how good it is. Um, and you know, we, we've had uh, quite a few people help on it. Alex Carroll has, has helped Jason Tan to um, you know footballize the plans as well. And uh, you'll be very very surprised when you get there. We're looking forward to it. I mean, it must it must be a big improvement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. No, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's true. It's true. Obviously, obviously, good touching on that. We've had players previously really slate the um, like the, the all the equipment we've had, and obviously the training pitches and everything previously. Like in your role, how does that kind of affect everything? Like, is it like hard having players like senior pros come in? Like, I think it was Joe Barton's come out for, hasn't he? Instead, that the training ground was awful and stuff. Like. Is that hard when players do that and say that? I think it's very. I think it's very hard when people do that because ultimately you you know you know what the training ground is like when you come, don't you? Yeah. So you know you come for a reason, don't you? And a lot a lot of the time people come because they're getting a good contract. Um, so to me, grass is grass. You know, at the end of the day, you you, got, you have to go out and train. Um, yeah. So I think it is hard when people people do that because. A lot of the times, it's an excuse for for something else. Yeah, yeah, and that's not saying that Joey was making an excuse. I'm just saying any player, any player that 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 
that complains about the training ground um, before they, after they've signed, you know, they got to realise that it was it, that it's not going to change just because you've signed, you know. I mean, obviously, with the new training ground and you know, sort of a manager that's willing to you know promote youngsters does from the outside looking in and with the actual experiences some players have made, there seems to be more of a pathway for youngsters now. It's more of a clear, this is what you can do in X amount of time. I just wondered, in, in your role, like how, how do you help prepare some of these players? I know it's quite a broad question, but like what sort of, um, is it like you need to go out on loan or is it individual coaching? Like how do you sort of help prepare them when they are close to the first team? Uh, well, I think, what, what happens if they're close to the first team? Then you have to you have to take guidance from the first team manager because every every manager plays their own style. So we have a development program under under um, the manager the manager that comes in because unfortunately managers change every one point one year. So yeah, it's just the statistics. I hope Mick Mick isn't going to be that statistic, but they change one point one year. So what you have to do is give all the players a rounded program. So they can adapt to any manager that comes in. So the team or, or the, the players closest to the first team, we have to try and mimic some of the stuff that, that Mick does so that when they go there, they're, they're not a deer in the headlights. And I mean, someone like Sinclair Armstrong, obviously, you know, physically really impressive. As you say, there is a rawness to his game, which mm. obviously can be like polished up. What, what sort of things do we do to sort of help a Sinclair Armstrong? Is it um, more first-team exposure? Is it go away, go out on loan? What, what was the sort of plan for someone like Sinclair? Well, Sinclair went on loan uh, last year. So I wouldn't say we ticked that box, but it was a good experience for him. We felt that um, after his first loan, that we didn't send him out straight away because his hold-up play wasn't as good as we would have liked it. So we stayed and trained him. And then uh, he went on loan and did well. And then um, now he's stepped up another level and um, you know he's finding it difficult with the, with the, the the dark arts of, of the first team first team football. He's, he's almost too honest for his own good. So um, trying to 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 get the balance between training him and him being needed to make a cameo roles at times for the first team um, is a task that 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 we we need to get on with. Absolutely. I mean, he's really encouraging. Like just seeing him through, he's been quite a bright spark this season. I mean. Looking at um, players that do have potential when they come going further back, you know, in the age groups, like a bit younger, how, how do we sort of fight away the teams that want to come in and sort of poach players from a younger age? Do we have much that we can do in the current EPP rules or is it uh, like a losing battle? Losing battle. Yeah. It is a losing battle because, listen, what, 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 what um, is a difficult thing for people to understand is I don't know if you've been seeing some of these documentaries on TV, you know, at these clubs and that. People go for the badge. So it doesn't, doesn't matter if we have 10 academy players playing in the team. You know, I, I say to the parents a lot of times, we do workshops on managing expectations of players because the statistics are so damning. So what we're trying to say to them, if your son has got to just come and enjoy the football. He can't be defined as, as a footballer from the age of nine all the way to the you know, to age of 16. So what happens is, is regardless of what happens, uh, if we offer a player a contract at 16 and he doesn't want to take it because a bigger badge has come, then then they have to pay compensation. The compensation has gone up recently, but you know it's generally around about 250 grand really for a, 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 an under 16 that's been there all the all the way through. 
So we're fighting a losing battle based on the parental expectations. It's not we could have the best program in 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 the country, and you know, and to be honest with you, you know, there was a period where we were getting a lot of players in in and around the team. But parents still will go to other clubs that have have no record in getting getting players in team just because they're in the Premier League. So if you if you look at it now, if you get there's six six um, six clubs in in London in the Premier League, and then you've got Watford and and, and Fulham that that keep flip flopping. So technically, we'll be seventh or eighth choice along with Luton and and Millwall. Now that isn't to say that we haven't got our programs not as good as theirs. It just means that they will just go for the bad so that they've got bragging rights in the pub with their mates or they, 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 they wrongly believe if you're a cat one club that you, your coaching is better, which, which we all know is a load of nonsense. So we are fighting a losing battle. And it's, a, you know, if, we were, if next season uh, we were to get promoted and Watford was to stay in the, in the championship, we would, we, we would all of a sudden be attracting players that, that we're not attracting now. Sorry, just quick. Is that why we have changed, not, not changed, but we're looking to find those rough diamonds um, that are a bit older, sort of, you know, 1920s. So by the time we've, you know, we've rough, got rid of the rough, you know, and smoothed them out. They're already sort of 21, 22 in the first yeah. team. Can't be poached as easily. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the thing is, once they get onto that professional contract where um, they are professionals, then it then it goes to a tribunal and it's just whatever 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 people offer. But when they're kids, there's a each yeah. of these set amount of money that they that they um, that you know. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. That they have to pay, which is annoying, really, because you can have a kid from the age of nine all the way to 16, then he leaves for, you know, 250 grand to a Premier League club. What's that's nothing. Yeah. Chris, is, is there been a player that's, that's happened? Is there like a noticeable player that we've lost, maybe that or you've lost that has gone on to do great things that we had, or, or that uh, possibly? Most of them done. Most of them yeah. haven't haven't. We've sold quite a few over the last few years, and most of them have not yeah. have not gone there because when you go to a Premier League club, you are just one of a, a, a chain of players that they buy. So £250,000, don't forget, they get merit money at the end of the season, which they're not expecting. They can, you know, so which is millions. Um, and when you've got players in their first team that are on that type of money a week, <laughs> they're, they're not worried about paying that for, you know, a 16-year-old. Um, obviously, you spoke about how parents kind of encourage their children to go to 
bigger clubs. Um, how do you deal with it when you actually are the ones like letting players go? Like, are you involved in that process of it when you've had yeah. like, kids through like the age groups and then you've got to let them go? Like, how is it dealing with parents who you might be getting a bit frustrated that you've not keeping their son on? It's the most difficult part of the job because in the same way as I'm saying about people at 16 and nine and they leave at 16, sometimes you have a player that's been there since he was nine and you're releasing them at 20. So, you know, he's, he's technically institutionalized really, because he doesn't really know anything else apart from coming to, to, uh, to the training ground for, for, you know, most of his life. That's probably the most difficult, difficult uh, part of the session, but of, of the, of doing this role. Um, most of the time, we have to make sure that we're honest. We're honest with with, with the, the the players because some of them can go somewhere else and, and get a job. But also, they have to make sure that there's other parts of life. You know, being a footballer, yeah, that's your dream. But most people don't make it. You know, yeah. you know when you think about it, it's one percent of one percent are in academies. That's not a lot. And then you think about. It's a zero point zero one two percent in one point five million get get contracts. That's one hundred eighty contracts for one point five million people. That is, it, I wouldn't say it's impossible to make it, but it's very very difficult. Yeah, um, obviously, just going on that, on that. Out of all the players you've been involved with and you've coached, who for you had the most natural ability? And has made it. And obviously, and on the other side of it, who's had to work the hardest? To get to being a pro, Ooh. what it, at, at QPR or at Tottenham? It, uh, either. I wouldn't say I don't like the word natural. If I'm being honest, I, I mean obviously, but I would say if you look at someone like Ryan Mason at Tottenham, he 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 was very very gifted. Um, I think Eze's been one of them. He's very, he's been very, very gifted, um, which people would. Did call you know Ebre Eze was going to? Did you know he was going to? Like when you saw him play, did you know he was going to be that big? Go that? Do you know what I mean? Like you must know sometimes. You've got that feeling. Um, it's all it's all about pathways, though, because there's other players yeah. that I've, I've I think that have been very, very good, and they've not had the pathway. So it's all about pathways when when you when you look at it. Um, you know, there's, there's players, someone who's worked very, very hard, who's not a natural footballer, is someone like Ryan Fredericks. He oh, plays at Bournemouth. He, we had him at Tottenham. You know, he wasn't he wasn't as technically gifted as some of the other players, but he worked very hard to to get to get where he was. So it's not always the obvious players that that uh, people talk about. Um, it, sometimes it's, it's when you've worked with a lot, a lot of gifted players. Um, it's hard to choose one uh, it's going to be because most people most people will say uh, well you worked with Harry Kane what was he like you know and when people say yeah well I knew at 12 he was going to be a that's that's wrong that's wrong for people to say that because there's lots of gifted players that that, that fall by the wayside at the last hurdle well there was I was going to ask you why do you think Eze got released by um, so many clubs being built up to QPR. So I know no the ins and outs of why, but like what what was why do you think someone like Eze potentially was going to fall by the wayside? Uh because of the style of play. So if you go to Millwall, is it to be fair to Millwall, 
people people chastised him for for losing him, but they done him a favour because if he'd stayed at Millwall, he would have wouldn't have played for Millwall because they play a certain style of football that's expected to play, that's expected the way they play, and he wouldn't have made it. We we played a certain style of football in in the development group uh, through uh, Paul Hall, myself, Andy MP, Paul Furlong, Micah Hyde. We've we've all bought into the style of play that we want to, to how we want to develop the players. And it was right for Eze. It was right for Ilias. It was right for Ryan Manning. You know, it was right for those 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 players. So I think the environment always has a big part to play in where you know where where people succeed. Chris, you must be delighted with Ilias Chair and, and obviously off to the World Cup now and, and his development. Um, and he and he's so, to me from the outside, he seems like he's someone who's worked really hard at his game to try and he's obviously got the ability, but with his size and, and, and stuff, I, I guess it, it, sometimes he's developed a lot over the last couple of years. Um, have you have you worked with him a lot on his game and have you been close to him and, and, and that development? Uh, yeah, I mean, when he first came in, you know, he's a small player and, you know, yeah. the people tend to write them off straight away. Yeah. Um, so in our development sessions, you know, we, we, we design practices where we give him the ball. We gave him the ball a lot allowed him to fail and um, increased his fitness and allowed him to, to, to stay out of the battle so he's, you know, he doesn't have to tackle as much. So gave him strategies in how to, to overcome uh, the physical side of the game. And, and as we can see now, he's, 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 he's still strong. He's a strong little player, um, very fit uh, and, and technically very, really good. Like he seems to know how to ride a, ch- uh, a tackle. Like it yeah. always seems like is that something you guys have worked with him? Like yeah, we call to... it block block and roll. Yeah, so, roll. Yeah, I've heard so that. Yeah. Block and roll. So he's he's he, he you know the way that he clips the ball over their their someone's foot. You know when they come in to tackle him, he seems to, to jump over. Yeah. Um, that's something that we do in the academy. He looks really fit this year. Like, I feel like yeah, he's fitter this year, and he's he's playing every game, and he's quite incredible. So. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and listen, and he's a really good guy. Um, he's a really good guy. He's really, you know, into his community work as well. Um, obviously, you've been around QPR for a while now. Yeah, like obviously, you've seen quite a lot. You've seen a lot of changes and a lot of things happen. What's your like best memory? And then on the other flip of it, what's your worst memory of your time at the club? Uh, uh, my, I, I would have to say it's, it's going to sound cheesy. My best memories are when people, players make their debuts. For me, that's the most satisfying because it's a team effort within the club, within the physios and the, the sports scientists and the coaches and you know, uh, f- through through the academy. So my best memories of that, you know, we had, uh, I think we had one a game a couple of years ago, it was against Birmingham. And I think there was like seven academy or six or seven yeah. academy players playing. You know, so that's their their memories for me because I know the hard work that goes on behind behind the scenes. You know, obviously, you know, for me, difficult times when I was when I was the manager. I, I didn't, I wouldn't say that I disliked it, but you know, it's it, it's when when uh, when the team's on a downward downward slide, um, and then you've got to get rid of a lot of players and you're rebuilding. It's unforgiving in the first team in, in the first team environment, and uh, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't able to hold on to the job long enough to turn it to turn it round. Um, and I wouldn't say it was a it, it was a regret. It was just a part of my development. 
that I was that that I've gone that I've gone through that's put me in good stead for the role that I'm doing now. You, Had you um, wanted to make the step up, sorry, into management? Did I want to do it? Yeah. Yeah, like, was that, like, or would you naturally just want to kind of stay as the role you're at now or did you, like, you wanted to progress further on and up the ladder no i think i did want to do that because i think when you when you've when you've started from the bottom and you've worked in football in the community women's football disabled football you know just to, just just to name a few you you do look to the heady heights of being a first team manager um but i'm i'm a I, but i am a coach i'll coach anyone's in front of me so whether they be a first team player or an under nine, I'll co- I'll coach them. But but I think for your deathbed, you have to do certain things that you don't want to. You don't want to have regrets when you leave the game. You don't want. Oh, I should have took that opportunity. And and who's to say that I might not take another opportunity in in time to come? Well, that was exactly going to be my follow up, Chris. I was going to say, do you still have a burning desire to maybe be a number one elsewhere or QPR or you know in the future? I don't think I don't think I'll be a number one at QPR, um, which is one of the reasons why I've never put myself forward when there's been an interim manager situation again. I would never put myself forward for that. I would always work in a more of a, a supportive role um, because I, I see you know, I see myself as a career QPR person um, as, as as from from that point of view. But um, at some stage, I, you know, I may. I may decide that I want to be a number one again and and go through it. But I've actually got the best job in football, if I'm being honest. So it would, it would take a lot for me to leave this job voluntarily um, because as a coach, when you can work with everybody in the club and, and, and work with good people like the new manager and the coaching staff that I've got, it, you know, it's a very enjoyable place to come into work every day. Yeah, I was, I was going to actually ask, I mean, you working with Les Ferdinand for donkey's years now. How, how, yeah. how has your professional relationship with him developed over the years? And as you say, you must enjoy him, must be quite close and get on with him. Yeah, I mean, we, we've worked for a decade now or more, 2010, when I was at Tottenham. So we've worked, we've worked, we've worked quite well together. It is a mutual respect there. You know, obviously he's my boss. So for me, my, my, my job really is to support the processes that he's put into place to make sure that that if he's successful, then the club is, is, is successful. So, my, so our, our relationship's been really good, um, you know, because he's a coach as well. But you know, he's got his pro license and he's got he's, he's got everything like that. So we can talk about about coaching as well as the game, and obviously the the type of managers and the type of coaches that we want around the club. So it's been been really good. You know, I owe the last 11, 12 years to him, really, because at Tottenham, he was the one who pushed for me to work with uh, himself and Tim Sherwood with the first development squad where we where we did have your Jake Livermores and Ryan Masons, Ryan Fredericks and Adam Smiths and all those those people. And then when we we went to the first team as a as a as a, as a trio, um, but it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have been in that in that position. Um, and then obviously he hired me at, at, at Tottenham. So I owe him, I owe him big time. <laughs> Just one final question for me, actually. I know it's, we, it's more of one that's come in the last sort of 10, 15 minutes. Me and the lads were chatting earlier about how QPR develop, how we make that next step up, you know, like where we are at the moment, sort of in and around the playoffs. And, it, and, and Jack made a really good point, which is, and the fans don't want this, but is 
the next step us selling one of these big assets and cashing in on them for us to be able to spread that money around in the squad to be able to because we've got great players in certain positions but you know sometimes it feels like Ilias Chair and Willick are a step ahead of the strikers maybe or people around them but it's more of a footballing question do you agree with that? But that's, that's, a, that's a really good question it's a really good question and I would look at clubs in our position um, as they always say everybody's got their price so I would imagine that you know, being in our position now, we would love to get, get, hold on to the, the players that we've got in order to to mount the charge to to try to get to the top. But I'm, I'm sure that if the right price came for any play, any of our players, we'd have to seriously consider it. Based on what you've said uh, about actually uh, regenerating and and making the squad the squad stronger, but that doesn't mean that that you know we've got a right move sign on them. You know, it doesn't mean we yeah. we 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 we're, we're trying to. Trying to sell them, it just means that if the right move, if the right, um, if the if, if the right deal came in, I'm sure the club would consider it, and if it was to the benefit of the club, I'm sure that the club would would go ahead and and, and do it. Yeah, and look, you know, you don't know what you're going to spend that money on either, do you? You know, you can nah, spend the money nah. on, on, on 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 not good. Um, what what do you uh, for just quickly? On, I've got another question that's just popped in sure. my head. Um, for the for the for the, what's your prediction for us for the season? Then what, what do you think we're going to continue to be up there? Do, you know, top ten, or do you think we're uh, going to push on? I, I, I'm quite optimistic um, for for the, for the season. I think we're in a good place considering uh, you know for what we would have accepted at the beginning of the season. I think we're in a good place. I think we're playing a good style of football, which is enjoyable to watch. Um, and prediction, I'd hate to say, you know, you know, we're going to get in the playoffs and get in the final and go up. But I would, I would say that we obviously, I would predict that we're in 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 the top half of the table. Um, and I would hope that we would we would make the playoffs. Um, obviously, Chris, just a quick one from me. Obviously, we seem to have been struggling a little bit with injuries this year. Like, is mm-hmm. there anything like within the club where, like, you kind of, like, the sport scientists kind of like look at it and think, like, is this happening because the fixtures there's too many being rammed in together? Like, what's like the club's kind of take on it? I, th- I think we've been quite unfortunate with some of the some of the fixtures, uh, some of the uh, some of the injuries. I think we've been, and I think if you look at a lot of clubs, a lot of clubs are suffering similar injuries. To, to us, you know, post-lockdown, a lot of clubs suffered a lot of hamstring and, and soft tissue injuries. And I think there's been, there's been a legacy of that, really. If you, if, you, if you think about some of the clubs that when we speak to them, they have four or five players at, at, at a time. So I don't think it's anything special to our, to our club. And, you know, obviously the sports scientists and, and the medics are always looking for ways for improving the robustness of the players. So I, I think we have been, I think you're 100% right, we have been unfortunate. And I think that uh, over the last few years, the, the fixtures have been so rammed together. You know, uh, in years gone by, you probably have 10 midweek fixtures a season. Now, you've, you've probably got 10 free, free, free weeks during, during, during the season. So I think that that's, that has something to, to do with it. Yeah. Do you also think, obviously, with how the style of football's changed, like it's a lot more physical and a lot quicker 
So there's a lot more of these muscular injuries, whereas like 10, 15 years ago, it was kind of more impact injuries, wasn't it? Like players getting to tackles, that's why they would then be injured. Whereas now players could just be running and it just something just goes. Do you think that's just how the game is developing naturally, that we're going to see a lot more of these kind of muscular injuries because it's becoming a quicker game? Uh, I, I, think, I, I think that's a good point. I think, you know, when I played, it, it was impact injuries, you know. You know, that's, that's what it was. You know, you get your first one free, and uh, then you've got two more left in the locker. Um, I think, I think the game has changed. I, I think um, one thing I, I, I don't quite buy into is that the game's quicker. I think the game's played in the era that you're in. So, in my era, for us, it was quick. So, so it's just played in the area that you're in. But I do, I do take on board that there are more sort of hamstringy, calf type injuries um, nowadays um, than they than they appeared to be in my in my in 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 my day. And, and that might be because people are probably more highly tuned than than, than before. It, it would be good to do the research on that. <laughs> it really would. Chris, thanks for coming on. We bombarded you with questions there. Um, you enjoy the World Cup. You're going to be watching it. What are, what are your yeah. plans for break? Anything? Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be. It's going to be. You know, I think it's going to be really exciting. Um, obviously, there's a lot of views about about the whole thing about where it's being played and all that and all that sort of thing. But and and obviously in our lifetime, it's the first time we've had a break at this at this yeah. time of the year. At this time of the year. So. Uh, but you know, for, from our point of view, I think the break has come at a good time in some in some in some respects to get our players uh, back into play. And also, I think with us, with the board members, you know, uh, Amit and uh, Tony and 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 Ruben and Lee Hoos and Les, they can get together and and plan some more strategies for how we're going to bring the the the, the club forward. So I think it, it'd be weird, but. Um, but I think it, I think it would be enjoyable. In England, with your Christmas tree up there, isn't it? it's going to be a bit strange, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, mate, thanks for coming on. Um, look, you know, have a yeah, enjoy the time off and enjoy the World Cup, and let's hope we can have a good second half of the season. Listen, Bye-bye. thanks a lot. It's an honour to be asked. Oh, thank you, but thank you very oh, much. Cheers, Chris. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, Christmas gone. Um, Nice guy, eh? Really, uh, you know, you, when we get these interviews, we're always a bit, you know, we d- we're not sure how they're going to go, but I thought he came across really well, really top guy. And, um, you know, he's been at the club now for, what, six, seven years? How longer, isn't it? It's no, almost like 12, 13 years. Is it? I think so, isn't it? No, 2014. 2010, like 10. Well, then it's more then, isn't it? Is it 10? 10 That's years. Maybe. <laughs> you just made that up. 2014. He came in after we won the playoffs. He came in the yeah, season we went back up. Yeah, so nearly 10 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, Still a long year. I found what some of the stuff he was going on about was really interesting of how they develop the youngsters and the kind of stuff they do with them. Like, uh, where he's mentioned about, obviously, Ilias with how he rides challenges. Like, you can see that he does that. And you could, like, it's really interesting to see that they've actually worked with him and taught him the best ways to get out of those challenges with the big physical players. Yeah, and also I found the um, Sinclair Armstrong thing a bit quite interesting around how he kind of alluded to the fact that he's struggling in the first team at the moment mm. um, with how 
And, 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 and with how I guess he's coming up against these centre backs that have got twenty years, you know, fifteen years experience, week in, oh, week exactly. out. Exactly, like put, must giving be him little, him. giving him like little sneaky shirt pulls or yeah. remember, stepping Rod- on his heels. The Rotherham home game, I think it was that like thirty-seven-year-old where is Richard Wood, yeah, yeah. booted Sinclair Armstrong to high heaven, and Armstrong was on the floor, and old Wood was laughing off, and I, was, oh, I felt so <laughs> that welcome to the men's game. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no way to stop him. You've got to take him out because he's just too quick and too strong. And he's, he's getting his lumps, isn't he? Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, well, top top interview, top man. But let's quickly crack on with QPR. <laughs> um, I just wanted to touch on Chrissy Willick and I didn't, I'd get your opinions on him. I was watching him on Saturday, watched him the week, the week midweek before. He doesn't look fit to me. Um, no. He doesn't look like he is... I didn't see him sprint. And I don't know whether that's a, that's something that not that he's chose to do, but a, a sort of something that we have to live with if we're going to bring him in. It's kind of like, look, we need you in. You, you might not need to sprint here and do that. Just be in the round. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I just do you think if we weren't having the break now, he would have come back for the last couple of games? I think that would because been... I feel that he's kind of been brought back, knowing give us sixty percent, seventy percent. You've got yeah. ability in your locker, like. But let's just get to the break. You've got four weeks, three weeks, whatever it is, to really rest, get that hamstring back to being strong and fit. But that's what I feel like has happened. Like I feel like with the form, because I think if we were winning, I don't think he necessarily would have come straight back in as quickly as he has. I think you're spot on. I think they said, look, what can you give us in this little period before? Because, you know, we need you. But I agree with Ben as well. Like It just doesn't look... As sharpness to be expected. It's a, he's having some issues with the hamstring. So, he's, you know, he's really... It's a hard one to get back fully fit, but this break comes at a good time. I think looking at what he was doing before and after this recent injury, like he, he's had one shot on target in four games and he's also hit the woodwork once. He's also he set up a goal against Huddersfield. Like there, there's flashes of the old Chris Willock and it is in sporadic bursts, whereas before I felt like he was dominating games, he was running games when he was on form. So there, I think it's just a fitness thing. I think, the other side of the break, I think it'll do the world a good, like a lot of the team. Um, so, yeah, it just it didn't quite go to plan, did it? Putting him back in the team. And surely, like, oh, we've all played like, like amateurish level kind of thing. You know, if you're not fully fit, you're not going to quite do the things you normally do. Like with that mental kind of block, you're thinking, I might just not fully go in for this 50-50 or... I could probably make that sprint, but I'm not going to put that whole 100% into it. Like He seems to be playing with that kind of mental, something he's just kind of hesitating a little bit. A I wonder little whether bit of, that's just mm. natural from someone who's had two big injuries, because he's had two big injuries, right? Um, whether he, whether this natural, that's just like a natural way of someone, thinking, I don't know, it's weird, isn't it? I just, like I've said, he just doesn't look 100%. You're right, Jack. It might be that he's, un- he's still slightly unfit. I think we're, you know, Doug, you're right in the fact that probably his mindset is kind of thinking, well, if I can get to this four week break, I've got four weeks then to rebuild this hamstring and I could go again. So, but just an observation I noticed on Saturday that he just didn't look like he wasn't sprinting anywhere. Um, It's always short burst, isn't it? As you say, it's very sporadic. I mean, when he came on against Norwich, took the ball on the half turn and hit the post, you think, oh, he's back. Daniel, but then anything else did he after that? No, but it, and, and with the ball, it's, it's, it, when you're running with the ball, I guess it's 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 
you sort of you can do that, can't you? You can glide past players. You're not going full but, tilt, are you? But I'm like sort it's of slightly, slightly slower movement, isn't it? Like you're not yeah. fully explosive with a ball. Like whereas when you're chasing after a ball, you, or like you have to be like explosive acceleration. Whereas when you're dribbling, it's slightly not as on the hamstring, is it? It wouldn't be by putting as much pressure through the hamstring. Yeah, I heard Andy Sinton on the commentary say a few times oh, when there was a ball pumped over the back into the channel and Willock's got to chase it. I think Sinton remarked, it's not the sort of run you want to be making coming off a hamstring. You kind of... Exactly. Really <laughs> but, and Jack, that's one of, the, one of the other last things I wanted to chat about was we, we massively miss someone doing that. Like, you know, the Coventry guy, is it Gokki Eris? I mean, what a striker he is, by the way. Um, he's everything that we kind of wish the Knights was. And I don't mean that in a horrible way as that sounds, but... <laughs> but he, but we, we we need someone who can get in behind. We just haven't got anyone who can do that and stretch teams. We just we, we you know, Andre Gray was kind of doing that when he last season at times, and he did that a little bit towards the end of last season. Then got quite a few, you know, or like, got quite a few goals off the back of that, didn't he? Um, it's cute and clever movement, isn't it? It's just it's working defenders and putting them in you know places on the pitch they don't want to be. They don't want to pick him up in that sort of outside. Yeah. He comes in and he comes in off. You know, gets to the back post. So he's definitely there's definitely been a few strikers over the years that have gone for smaller fees than Bon and Dykes, and that have you know Carlton Morris at you know Luton. good, yeah. Perez at Coventry. There's been a few, but you know you wonder if we were. They're just a bit quicker, aren't they? And that's the thing with Lyndon Dykes. He doesn't have that, just that quick, over 10 yards, even that over 10 yards. Remember Shearer, he always used to say to me, I wasn't quick, but over 10 yards, I could beat a lot of defenders. And that's sometimes all you need, isn't it? That Just that quick yeah. burst of pace. I do think Dykes has been better, though. I think... Yes, I do agree. I do think his link-up play has been better. I think he's looking a bit more confident. Obviously, the penalty miss was a shame um, against, was it, Birmingham? But um, I think overall, he's looked better. But we... You made the point just before the interview. I think we can't rely on him. We need more, don't we? We need a striker who can get in behind. We need a bit more than Bond coming on once every five games for 20 minutes or 15 minutes or Armstrong making a few appearances here and there. We yeah. do want to take the pressure off Dykes or to go to up top if we need to in the game. Just quickly then, before we end, Bill, we've got four-week break now. What's, what does he need to do? Obviously, getting players back fit is number one, but what, what do you think he needs to do? Set peace training. Yeah, I looked it up. I mean, in in this calendar year, QPR one of three sides to have conceded twenty plus goals by set piece in the championship. <laughs> We've con- and this is excluding penalties, by the way. So this is this is twenty goals by like corners and free kicks, so to speak. Five of our last eight goals conceded have come by a set piece, whereas only three of our first sixteen goals this season came by a set piece. Of yeah, now is it mentality? organization it, I, I feel more secure in jimmy dunn's in the box put it that way um it was strange wasn't it because at the start of the season like you kind of noticed that we were we were scoring from set pieces which you don't often do and we weren't conceding from like you said but it seems to just be something that's crept back in like it always does we just seem to i don't know like i feel like we've got a quite big we've got quite a big team defensively especially like we shouldn't always be losing headers in the box yeah, it's, it's the second ball which does my head. It's quite wobbling, but it's first contact, isn't it? It is yeah. when in recent weeks, we're not getting our head to the ball first, and you put yourself under so much pressure after that. We're not even doing second as well, really, are we? We're losing a lot of second balls. That's what I always annoy it's mine. Um, um, do you think it's a coincidence our dip in form has also coincided with Steph being out of the team quite a bit? I, yeah, couldn't agree more. 
yeah well, it's, it's that, that leadership as well it's that leadership isn't it as well though it's mentality like, isn't it? there's there's all sorts that comes with him when he we seem to be calmer on the ball mm. to make better decisions with the passing when he plays and i think this season he's been the staff of the loan period you know when you looked magic and i know he's got six assists a couple of goals he's he really had a good season he started 15 times for QPR this season. QPR's win percentage is 53%. When he doesn't start, our win percentage is 17%. So wow. one of six yeah. playing with one. So he is key. You're right, Duncan. That's that's back that one up. I, I think as well, because if you go like he was supposed really pressing, like we often would say, like, he's why is he making that dart and run forward? Like, why is he pressing now? But it seems to unsettle teams. And like, like I don't feel we have that in midfield at the minute. I think it was Hull. We got two assists in the game. Yeah. Just- Intercepting the ball, pressing in the, in the middle third, final third, almost, and, and that's uh, that's where you want Chilik and Chair and Willock. When that happens, that turnover happens, and the defense yeah. is all at six and sevens. That's when they'll do the damage. They won't do it as much when they've got six. The well, we've got ten players behind the ball, you know, no. defending. And that's the something lead. that Amos doesn't give us that when he's in instead of Steph. And I don't think even neither does Dizel. Neither of them to have that kind of really high high pressing. Where they want to get at someone and make them force enforce like, the error, which is what Steph gives us. So when he's not in the team, you can really see that affects possibly the like you said the turnover high up the pitch. I think Amos is someone that has it in his locker when he's fit. I think it's a real shame his preseason went the way it did because he was someone that has been used in the past as someone that can press in midfield, Harry win balls, and you know break break you know make line breaking runs, get in and get the odd goal. I think we've missed that side of Amos because he hasn't looked the same this season. He hasn't, no, and I thought you were going to praise him a lot. I was going to, I was going to have you there, Jack. <laughs> as it is, I'm not going to. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I'll probably one for another pod, but Amos for me, is, I don't know whether it's the system, Beal not being Warburton. Um, yeah, so he seems to be going backwards, injuries as well. But anyway, quickly, is there anything in Rangers to, to, to for Beal? I feel like I keep seeing. <laughs> Could we be going through this all again in a week or two? It feels like he's going to be going that Van Bronckhorst. Oh, it, it, yeah, he's under pressure. Yeah. Do you not think it's like hypocritical if Bill said like he's all in, won't go to Wolves, but then oh now Rangers want me, I'm going. Sorry guys, it's been another month, but I've, I've Possibly, changed my mind. Right. Possibly, but would he care? How long would it be hypocritical for? Like once he's gone, he's gone. Like you know, everyone's got to move on. He got so much praise. For turning the Wolves job down, didn't he? He's got a lot of like, oh, top, like, you know, this, you know, well done. Good to see there's loyalty in the game. But he has made a lot of noise on social media. You know, it's right. So it's his former employees. He had great times there. For how much he loves Rangers, the fans love him. They think he's, you know, you know, a genius, aren't they? So it's one that looks, uh, you'd be more scared of than a Wolves. I think you'd be more tempted to go there. Yeah, you're worth it, everything as well. But maybe our recent run might put them off. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. Well, let's see how this goes. I'm a bit tense about it, but we'll, we'll maybe pick this up in, in the yeah. next pod. But um, lads, thanks for coming on. Um, uh, pleasure as always. Enjoy the, enjoy the World Cup. Um, let's enjoy the break of Saturday afternoon just not being ruined. <laughs> Which seems to be the uh, in thing at the moment. For QPR. No, but, um, we'll, cool. we'll just watch Southgate's boring England instead, yeah? Yes, we'll do that. Where we, yeah. What is it? Eight defenders. Nah. All right, cool. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe and um, yeah, we'll see you in a few weeks. You are. You are.
The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.